Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferencecom slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to Progressions, success in the music industry. Thanks for joining us for episode nine. Today's episode is a fun one. I enjoyed getting to know our guest today, and there's something I took away from our conversation that I think would make a great opening. Going against the grain, thinking outside the box, going off the beaten path, being an outlier. There are plenty of phrases to describe it, so just pick your favorite. Our guest this week has made, in my opinion, several non-conventional choices and they have paid off for him and jump-started his career. We'll cover those in the interview, but I wanted to drive home the idea that the best move for your career might not be the most obvious one, or the one that is most taken by your peers. Sure, the obvious path is the easier path to take. This is because the work has been done for you. Somebody else has paved the way and left a trail for you to follow. And if you haven't figured out from listening to this show yet, The best thing you can be doing for your career is probably the most challenging task and likely the task you least want to be doing, then you need to pause and jump back to episode one. Because in general, you can assume that the path of least resistance will not be the fast track to success. So here's the problem with doing the obvious. Your obvious next move is also someone else's obvious next move. You are on the packed, slow-moving, rush-hour freeway of people following in the footsteps of somebody else's success. Now, it's true that pretty much everybody on that freeway will reach their destination eventually. They might make it home for dinner, or they might miss it. They might try to take a shortcut and get stuck trying to cross a major road at an intersection without a light. The worst, right? Anybody in LA who's used Google Maps has felt that pain. But anyway, the point is, you'll probably get there, but at a snail's pace and no sooner than everyone around you. You'll be lost in the noise. If you're doing what everybody else is doing, there is nothing that makes you stand out and nothing that grabs people. So why do people do this? Well, people have a habit of doing what's worked in the past because it's safe and it's comforting. You feel like you're making the right choice because it worked for someone else. And when you look around to your peers, it seems to be working for them as well. And, like I said, it is working. But it's not setting you apart. It's not 10xing your progress. If you want to launch yourself forward, you need to set yourself apart, and the only way to do that is to be original, to be unique, to find a way to chase your goals down in a way that connects with your core values and your passions. If you can do that, then you can break ahead of the pack. And once you start breaking ahead of the pack, here's how your mind is going to try to stop you. It's going to tell you that none of your peers are doing what you're doing. It must be wrong. We must get back to the group. 
That's your age-old survival instinct, trying to keep you safe by sticking close to the rest of the village. Ignore that, and don't let your mind hold you back from your full potential. Our guest this week is Grammy-nominated mixer Jesse Ray Ernster. Jesse has managed to fast-track his way to the charts since arriving in Los Angeles, starting with engineering duties on Kanye West's album Jesus is King, and most recently for mixing the entirety of Burna Boy's album Twice as Tall. In addition to a busy mix schedule, Jesse also contributes to Music Tech Magazine and worked with Audio Test Kitchen on their mission to bring microphone comparisons to the internet. I'm excited to get to chat with somebody with such an extensive resume so early in their career. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Jesse Ray Ernster. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? I am good. I am good. There's uh, there's been a good amount of mixing this morning and uh, a fair amount of cleaning the house, too. There's been some renovation happening, and we've got like a mountain of dust oh, man. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and, Are you... and I thought I had it all cleaned up, and I pulled back my equipment rack to, uh, to plug in this preamp to be able to do this podcast with you, and I realized that there's just dust all over the cables everywhere. So I just pulled it back, pushed it back against the wall, and I think I'm going to leave it there and not touch it. <laughs> we'll forget we saw that. That's right. There's, there's always dust behind the racks. <laughs> are you are you a morning person? You, you said you've already done some mixing. It's only like noon for us. Are you you a big morning guy? Definitely, definitely. Uh, I have a kid, so uh. that kind of <laughs> that helps. But even before I had a baby, uh, we began waking up. My wife and I would wake up around five or six every day for the last several years, and and that's actually been a big proponent of kind of being able to get up and get stuff done and scheduling a lot of meetings and kind of led to where I'm at now, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, later that's, in the uh, you, you've got me beat. I, I'm getting up at like 536. There's something about that morning. I'm just like, I'm on fire in the morning and then I would just check out at like four o'clock. <laughs> yeah, dude, exactly. They're, it's amazing to just get in, get it all done. And like, sometimes I like to wrap by like two o'clock and just have the afternoon, go out, exercise, do the thing, hang out with uh, my daughter and, and then, you know, do some cooking and, and then you can, you can hang out and maybe do some more work later at night. But yeah, it's the mornings, man. That's the, that's the fuel time. Do you, uh, do you feel like you have to fight, you know, m- most musicians are, are night people. Do you end up in these situations where some guy wakes up at 4 PM and he wants a mix recall at seven? Yeah. The, the only, I think in the mixing realm, like as you probably know, it's it's pretty understanding and I think it's kind of the expectation that when someone sends notes, it's usually going to be within 48 hours where we'll, we'll be able to squeeze something in to get it back to them. So I, I try to do things within 24 hours, but in recent history, uh, Burna Boy is obviously like a kind of in the, I guess, more of the hip hop style session realm where they do like to work really late. Uh, even though he's not a hip-hop artist, he's technically an Afrobeats artist. But uh, So yeah, he'll go super late, but because he's in Nigerian time zone, <laughs> it actually works out pretty perfectly here. So they're, what, eight hours ahead? So his super late night is kind of like my afternoon, you know? Oh, it's amazing. It's so perfect. It's That's perfect. Not bad. So that kind of segues me to where I wanted to start. So in the first episode of the show, which, of course, no one has heard yet because it hasn't officially launched, it will in a couple weeks... I talk about the difference between expecting to wake up one day and get a number one hit and the difference of uh, waking up one day and having a global number one smash hit, which are obviously two very different things. So I love that you're here because you woke up a couple weeks ago with a global number one hit in in uh, Twice as Tall from Burna Boy. So let's break that down. How'd you get on that road to end up there? 
Yeah, it, go, it goes way back from be- before that. <laughs> 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 Let's see, I picked up the drum set when I was six years old. Uh, not literally, of course. Was that the first instrument? Drums? Uh, that was the first instrument. Yeah, my dad surprised me with the drum set and it was up in the attic and I was exploring and snooping around the house and it was about a month before Christmas. I was not supposed to find that drum set. So I started playing it and he came up and he was mad and delighted all at the same time and (laughs) that's where that began. Um, So then from there, yeah, many years of playing in bands and both my parents are musicians and my dad was a recording engineer, producer, uh, early adopter of Pro Tools, which was called Sound Tools at the time in the 90s. Oh boy, those were weird times. (laughs) Just massive, massive machines to run this just horrible, horrible software with the worst converters ever. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I I came up around that environment, around a lot of musicians and, you know, played in bands and MD'd some groups and led some groups and ultimately decided I loved being in the studio more and started recording all my friends' bands, recording acapella groups, recording country bands. And in Minnesota, where I grew up after moving here from Canada, where I was born in Winnipeg, uh, the main deal in Minnesota was like country bands. And like most of the working musicians were in like country cover groups. And that was sort of the deal. Right. We, we called it like Nashville of the Midwest. It was just, it was a really big country scene. So that's where I kind of got my chops, uh, you know, learning how to mic up kits in, in my basement studio and learning where to put them and learning how to engineer and, and move things around to manipulate the sound and get it going. And, and eventually I learned that I just really, really love mixing. And I wasn't super into sitting through tracking sessions anymore. And and producing was sort of frustrating for me because you could produce a song and get to the very end of it. And then the artist would decide that they really wanted to go a different direction and you have to completely (laughs) start over. And Which, you know, later I would find out that mixing can be a very similar scenario. Uh, So from there, uh, my wife and I decided to move out to L.A. in 2017 uh, because the scene, we felt like we kind of had hit the the limits of what Minnesota had to offer as far as uh, label support and, you know, just A&R access and just a reach to artists. And, you know, it's happening here. It's here or it's in Nashville, a little bit in New York. Uh, I can't really speak to that. I don't know about what's happening in the New York scene now. But yeah, we moved out here. Oh, God, there's, and then there's so much that goes into that. <laughs> Am well, I going down to like too many paths right now? Do you have more of an exact you'd like no, me to no, nail down on first? You're fine. The um, If you were doing kind of country bands, why LA instead of Nashville? Uh, I love LA. I'm fascinated with this place and with this, you know, I'm, I'm not a country guy. I'm a rock and roll guy and I'm into the pop music scene as well. And this is just, yeah, I, I was fantasizing about this place forever, you know, since I was a little kid and I was really into skateboarding and the skateboarding scene. And, you know, that was all Southern California and, and growing up and seeing, you know, seeing like, uh, David Lynch, Mulholland Drive, and just <laughs> being obsessed with the Hollywood culture and the history and the golden age of Hollywood in the 60s. And then learning about this is where they made all the records and through the 70s, 80s, 90s and the Sunset Strip era of the hair metal bands and just all this, just the wacky things throughout the ages. And I, I love it here. And I, I've, always, I've always felt called to come here. And uh, I ha- had a few connections. Um, that always nothing helps. Nothing that was... Yeah, nothing that was substantial. It was more just like, here's some friends that introduce you to some friends, that introduce you to some friends. And and one of the important friendships I, I 
made early on was with uh, my buddy Phil Simmons, who is a wonderful producer and extremely talented writer, multi-instrumentalist guy. Uh, insane. Just super, super crazy good. And we uh, have become really, really good friends. And he kind of connected me with a lot of these uh, other cats and musicians and, and projects. And he introduced me to somebody who introduced me to somebody who, you know, ended up getting me through the door at Nightbird, where I was kind of subbing in, doing engineering sessions uh, with this artist, Tyga. And that led to meeting Kanye West when he came in one night. And that's kind of a whole story, too, of I left the room and just approached Kanye. I just walked up to him. I, I, I knew I could maybe get fired from the session or punched in the face or what. <laughs> <laughs> the, the risk was there, but I, I said, hey, man, you know, I, I'll regret it forever if I didn't ask, you know, if I could come work with you. You know, I really admire what you're doing. I'd love to be a part of the team. And he said, okay. And they, you know, flew me out to Chicago and we worked there for a while engineering on what would become Jesus is King. At the time, it was an album called Yandi that we were working on finishing. And uh, yeah, I worked on that team for a bit. We went to Uganda. We traveled through Africa. Uh, well, not traveled through Africa, but we traveled through the safari, the Chobi Safari Resort in Uganda. And we recorded there and made music there and saw wild animals. And <laughs> it was just the most amazing experience of my life. That is nuts. And uh, yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And that's one of those things where you wake up, uh, you know, you're on a trip like that and you wake up and you're like, what the... What the heck? How did we get here? So then uh, that team went home and here I am back in LA and wondering, well, what the heck do I do now? How can I leverage that opportunity? And how can I start bragging about this to hopefully like get some other work? And uh, so I met with some different managers and even though the album wasn't out yet, you know, we had this, this kind of goal in mind that we would leverage me as a, an engineer with a credit with Kanye West. And I ran into... Uh, a few guys, Matthew and Kirk with Bad Habit, and that's who I ended up going with. Uh, they're my family now. Amazing. And yeah, so we, we, and that was a specific pivot point, and this could probably be a, a whole other subtopic of, of when I decided to pivot solely into mixing. And that was at this point in time, and I talked extensively about it with my wife, and we uh, just decided, hey, you know, we might take a hit with income, just like letting all the tracking sessions go and engineering and producing and auto-tune work and drum editing for these other producers and all the stuff I was doing to hustle and grind and scrape together money to pay the bills. We just decided, hey, we want to get known for doing one thing and one thing really, really well, and that's mixing. Even though I don't feel like I mix really, really well yet. <laughs> As you know, we're like always working on getting awesome at it. Every day, learning something uh, so new. Yeah, yeah. So going with bad habit and deciding that, like, all right, we're going to push the mixing and it, it might be slow for a few years. Uh, whatever, let's let's get it. So that kind of went from there. And to get back to your initial question, here we go. Here's the moment. Uh, they also manage Burna Boy as well as a, a variety of other artists that are on their roster because they have a, a joint venture uh, label through Atlantic. And uh, yeah, Bad Habit Atlantic. So I did a, a spec mix for Berna's first EP, not first EP, but the first EP we did called Stealing Copper. And then, yeah, it was good. So we mixed that. And then I mixed the African Giant album last year that got nominated for the Grammy and recently just went silver in uh, the UK. Yeah. Nice. Got to get that plaque. And uh, yeah. And then the Twice as Tall that went number one on the Billboard World Charts this past summer. So that's the long story. Not short, long story long uh, to, to how we got there. <laughs> well, that's cool. I, I, I took notes. So uh, cool. I'm going to go way back to the beginning. Let's go here. way back. Way back. 
So you said that your your dad was an engineer producer. Was he down in the basement showing you how to like mic the drums the way that somebody else's dad might be throwing baseballs in the backyard with him? Totally. Well, his he was he's so particular, man. He's so <laughs> set in his Sounds ways. Sounds like an engineer. He's like <laughs> an engineer and like a kind of old crabby engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, he had his drum kit always mic'd up the way he wanted it. And like when bands would come over to track, he's the guy that's like, you're going to use the house kit. It's dialed in. I have it set. Like whatever tones we need to get, bring in your different snare. But like these shells are going to be what we use. So <laughs> I would kind of make suggestions like, you know, I read on Gear Sluts that if we, if we use the modified 57 on the snare, we'll have less distortion. And, <laughs> and you would just say stuff like, yeah, we're not going to do that. that. That's the wrong way to do it. Try this, you know. This is how we make a drum uh, kit in this yeah. house. <laughs> exactly and but yeah you know I, I definitely got the initial pro tools lessons from him and the initial uh endless guitar tone uh lessons from him like he's a master guitar player and we played in bands together too that's awesome he's kind of a tone god and uh, that nobody knows about and so that's like he, he's the guy that could take like a pod an old, like, just these things that we as engineers just love to uh, rip on. And he would just dial in these insane tones on a pod, you know? So it became his joke. He's like, I'm going to go around. I'm going to play gigs all over town with a pod. I'm going to beat everybody using this piece of crap. I'm going to make it rock. And he did, man. It's like, you would never know. And I would come home with my Axe effects, my fancy. I'd get all the fanciest new gear whenever it would come out and I would try to out, you know, out dial him. So we'd have these dialing competitions. And of course he wouldn't change anything. He would just pull up his one setting that he loved and it would always beat the Axe effects. And we're like, okay, well I'll, I'll buy the best tube amp ever. I'll get the 5150 or the match list and we'll bring it in. And his pod tones would beat my like incredible <laughs> tube amp rigs. Of course it was because his fingers were dialing and his fingers were playing. And that, that's what I would go on to learn. It was his ears and his mind driving those decisions with his experience. Uh, yeah, he's a master. And, but we still disagree. Uh, for any of your <laughs> listeners, you, you can check out if you Google uh, Jesse Ray uh, and his dad mixing or whatever you want to search for. Um, but there's a YouTube video of us. We went into Big Bad Sound here in LA last year, which shout out to those guys, Jack and Zach. Uh, love those guys, man. I love that studio. We did a mix together, my dad and I, on the API legacy console. So we did it old school style. And, and you can see him pulling up the faders one at a time and reaching for knobs. And when he wanted to hear something, he, he just reached for the EQ and he made those changes right then and there. And uh, it was amazing. <laughs> I lost track of the question, but the, yeah, there, there's well, you that answered answer. It. <laughs> it was there. Oh. <laughs> That, that's uh, that's great. I haven't actually been over to Big Bad yet. Um, I almost did something over there. You, you like that spot? Absolutely. For it's all the, the listeners those guys that are, are not in Los Angeles, super important information. But uh, <laughs> so you, uh, I want to go back to you going up to Kanye because obviously that's a huge moment for you. Did you come out and work in a big studio? Did you have that mentality that was like beaten into you where like you stand in the corner and you keep your mouth shut? Yep. Yeah, so... In Minnesota, in the first, what, seven or eight years of making records, I did not come up in the studio, as I kind of previously touched on. I was self-taught and made music at home in the home studio. And uh, occasionally would go out and, you know, work and engineer in bigger rooms to, to get drums, maybe. We needed, like, a roomy sound. And then I would bring the basics back to my place and finish right. it there. But uh, out here, 
I needed to try everything. So we got to town and I had, you know, close to no connections and I had no <laughs> momentum whatsoever. So it was the first week and I was sending out, you know, a hundred emails a day and trying to connect with any producer, engineer, studio owner, whoever I could to get coffee and, and try to get some momentum going. And nothing was sticking, right? So I, I did seek out all of these studios and I sent resumes out and nothing happened. And then I just needed to get creative. So uh, I, I connected with my wife on, you know, brainstorming, like, what can we do here? She's a recruiter at Google. So she has this, this way of thinking about things. And, and she remembers how certain, uh, certain people got her attention throughout the years when she would be interviewing and so we came up with this idea to buy these, to buy just, you know, 10 dozen boxes of donuts, really obnoxious, brightly colored pink donuts and slap the resumes on there. Really, you know, full color <laughs> resumes, obnoxious, flashy, just make it as memorable and wacky as possible. Just absolutely and I ridiculous. loaded my car. F- yeah, yeah, as ridiculous as possible. And just to not be afraid of that. So I went to every t- uh, every studio in the valley and, you know, Ring the buzzer, knocked on the door, went in and brought these donuts in and said, hey, you picking up interns right now? <laughs> I would love to work here. And I got laughed out the door pretty much the whole way. You know, it was a couple days of this. And then the very last stop was NRG in North Hollywood. And they they were into it. Uh, the manager there was like, this is funny. Okay, this is cool. Yeah, we, we do need somebody actually. So we, let's let's have you start next week. And so I came in there and I kind of got the the ropes of the studio world, which was dun, 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 much different than I had anticipated. <laughs> it was, yeah, I got my butt kicked, man. I, you know, I, I don't want to say I walked in like a hot shot thinking I knew everything because that's kind of the cliche that you hear about. But, you know, I, I felt like I had a lot to learn, but I felt like I was also fairly established. And, but there really is a lot of difference between LA session flow and kind of the etiquette of being in a session here versus, you know, being in a home studio with my buddies back home. Oh yeah. And that those are things I had to learn. And a lot of it was speed based and engineering based and just a lot of these unsaid things and, and kind of the dynamic of how a session goes that, uh, that I needed to, to learn. And the staff there, they were really tough on me and they were really, they were really, I'm thankful that they were, you know, they knew the rooms and they knew the gear and I, I was not the fastest on pro tools really yet. I thought I was, but like Turns out there's there are always more shortcuts than any of us <laughs> know about. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm thankful for that. I always get like extremely excited when I, I learn a new shortcut. But yeah, so I got hired pretty fast there. I think it was three weeks, and I was running and running coffee, and you know, and being there till eight in the morning sometimes, and running and picking up backwoods for the rap clients. And yeah, it was humbling, man, because those were tough times. And my car still smells like McDonald's and Five Guys and. <laughs> that'll never go away there's been irreparable damage done <laughs> that's right yeah exactly yeah i spilled uh when i was a runner just emptied out like a whole like catering size thing of uh penne pasta all over my seat oh no it was where awful. were you running um i was working at capital studios for that's where i started oh uh, dude see i brought i brought the donuts to capital and that's where i was that was my first stop what year that's where when, i wanted when is to this go. this was 2017 Sort of in August, so almost three years ago. I think I was. Uh, I think I was just gone. Otherwise, I probably would have eaten some donuts. <laughs> if you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out 
tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. <laughs> what was it like over there, man? Did I miss out? Uh, it was great. It was amazing. I mean, I, I worked there... I came to LA in 2006, and I worked there, tw I worked there twice. Once as a runner, kind of working my way to assistant... And then I left to do something else. And then I went back as an engineer. But just a really amazing, awesome. so much history. Um, how were you able to go back as an engineer? That was, uh, that was kind of a luck, that was a lucky moment. I, I basically, it, it's a really great place to work. So people work there for a long time. So there is a ceiling on when you're going to move on, right? So I got an opportunity to go work for a producer. Uh, we were doing a bunch of Disney music. And so I did that for about two and a half years where I was just this songwriter, producers, engineer, and mixer. And then I started to feel, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, that like, yeah, I was doing a lot of work. I was working every day, but I was only working for one person. And so it got to the point where I was like, this is the only, this is the only person I know. This is the only person I'm working for. I might need to do something else. And we actually, we were having something mastered at Capital um, that week. And I started talking to one of my old managers and they were talking about these rooms that they were building for uh, pop songwriting. Um, they said so they built two extra rooms. I can't remember what year this was. And uh, I was like, oh, that's crazy. I've been thinking about, you know, moving on and I've been doing nothing but pop writing sessions for three years. And he was like, well, if you want a job, then I've got a, a room that'll be built in a couple of weeks and you can come help finish building it. And so that's how I ended up going back there, kind of skipping the assistant step, which I both regret and don't regret. There's so much to learn in those uh, assistant situations. But uh, yeah, so that's the short, I guess it was kind of long version <laughs> no that's great man <laughs> i mean those are such beautiful rooms over there right oh they are yeah so what was the setup like in your space not to get too heavy with gear i know that's not the the point of this cast but we got to go there a little bit right <laughs> uh yeah, totally in the space that i work out of now uh in the i, I want to hear that too but oh. <laughs> in that capital room uh, in particular that, uh that those were they were neve genesis consoles um, and you know, pretty, pretty basic pop vocal chain, Neve tube tech compressor, um, which I don't get by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that was kind of, are it. you a CL1B guy? <clears throat> uh, not, not really, you know, I'll use it, but I like the 1176 more, you know? Yeah. It's, me too, man. It's mid forward. Just yeah. gets that vocal up there. Yeah. So the setups there were, they were pretty Pretty basic, mostly dialed, you know, more creative plugins, dialed in like, you know, producers, songwriters coming in, demoing out ideas. Uh, they were supposed to be just for one specific publishing company for a while. So that's kind of where these rooms came from was a, a joint venture that changed as things went along. But um, they still have those rooms today. They've changed them a lot. And they're now they call mm. them Studio D. They've kind of totally upgraded that area. So it's really, really great. So nice. But, um, but yeah, gotcha, I mean, man. the uh, coming from the similar space of of working in a studio like you did, the idea of me walking up to somebody like Kanye West and saying, "Hey, I want to come work for you," feels so wrong to me. Because yep. 
Oh, not, sorry, I should rephrase that. Doesn't feel wrong to me. It feels like I wasn't supposed to do it because that's not the way that the LA studio scene was. So like, I think taking that step obviously was huge for you because it set you off on this, on this path that you're on now. But I think a lot of people are afraid to make those big moves. I mean, I've quit a salary engineering job twice. And, and as I walked out the door, thought that's probably the worst decision I'll ever make. But both times it was totally worth it. But it's frightening to do these things. Absolutely, man. And I often think back, <laughs> I often wonder if that's even a good story to share with beginners. <laughs> because I don't want, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want somebody to get the impression that it's, uh, that the right thing to do is to step up and be bold in the middle of a session. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's important to preface that as I was rushing through that story to kind of get it all in there, um, you know, it was it was towards the end of the night. You know, we had already done all the tracking for several hours, and I think we were at that kind of celebration point of the night where they kind of, they, they press play and do a lot of playback and kind of jam and celebrate uh, the work that was done and... The, the evening was winding down. I think they were packing up and getting ready to leave. So right. I thought, well, this this is probably a good time. And I didn't do it in the room, you know. So le left the studio and did it left in the hallway. <laughs> At least, you know, so I'm not in there in front of the artist. But, you know, again, it's like you just got to weigh the risk, right? There's a time and a place. And I was in there subbing in and I, I didn't know if I would ever get in and, and work that room again or probably never see Kanye again, which True. is likely... So, yeah, you got to take those shots, you know? Like, I just wonder what my life would look like now if I hadn't. Oh, yeah. And can't regret. No regrets, baby. No, Woo! you got you to go for it. You got to stand by the choices that you make. You're going to make the best choices that you can with the information you have. And that goes, you know, not just in music, just in life. And uh, you just got to stand by it. And if it was the wrong choice, in your case, it was not. You just have to, you know, accept that you made a mistake and move on and sort out how to repair it. You know, totally. So. I mean, I've I've made some wrong choices too. We can talk about those. Like, I, I got <laughs> yelled at in my face by R. Kelly when I worked at NRG. You know, that was uh, humiliating and educational, and and his breath smelled bad, and I I just <laughs> it was all of it. It was the a whole thing, and uh, yeah, you know, there's there are times to you know speak up and. There are times not to. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm kind of an impulsive guy. I'm pretty hyperactive. I was severely diagnosed with ADHD as a kid. You know, I was the I was the kid in the classroom just drumming on the desks and bouncing off the walls and speaking up and interrupting and just causing distracting everybody and making teachers' lives a living hell. And so I think some of that energy now I'm able to control in it and bring it into the music and bring it into the space and and make my engagement with artists like you know exciting and and get them fired up and but so you know sometimes it, it's definitely bit me in the ass so I think there's a time <laughs> and a place right that's yeah, uh, yeah it's great that's good so when you came out to L A it sounds like you were just a networking machine just cold like cold calling people like you have no fear of of that stuff. You're just diving in. Yeah. I, I think that that's always been a strength of mine. Like my family moved a lot when I was a kid. So it, I got a lot of practice starting fresh at new schools and having to make friends. And then again, I was like hyperactive and very outgoing. So that kind of, that kind of worked for me and getting out here, I, I needed to do that obviously, because I'm deeply afraid of not amounting 
to what I want to <laughs> and deeply afraid of not achieving my goals and of being a, a failure. Right. Plus like I, you know, it, it, I don't want to say it's a young man's game, um, young man or woman's game, but there is definitely something to be said for getting established when, when you have youth on your side. And, uh, I, I just felt that if we weren't able to make some things happen here pretty quick within a few years, uh, my wife and I would probably, you know, look to move elsewhere and, and pursue something else. And I would continue making records and I would be, you know, extremely happy to be making music at any stage, at any level, anywhere. But, you know, I need, I was California dreaming. I needed it to happen here. Like I, I need, I need Grammys and plaques and, and success. And I want to work with the biggest artists. I want to work uh, on music on the biggest level that I possibly can. And I want those songs to reach the largest audience they possibly can. I want as many people as possible to hear that music and to be affected and to get goosebumps and to be inspired and you know, whatever that might be. I, I want to be a part of that. And I, I admit all of that freely and shamelessly. <laughs> I'm competitive. I want the trophies, you know? So no, I, I, I knew great. if you don't put the work in and you don't go for it, uh, how the hell is it going to happen, right? Yeah, you have to, A, you have to know what you want. And just being able to vocalize that the way that you did, like you, you obviously believe that. You didn't write that down. We have video. He did not read that off a piece of paper that came out of him. <laughs> yeah, you have to be passionate like that if you have any chance because let's be honest, it's extremely difficult. And there are far more downs than there are ups, but the ups are so exhilarating. They'll drive you forward to your next up. You know, the whole, the whole music business is like that or the entertainment business. Yeah, I mean, having just having that in your mind is powerful. You know, you, you're on a goal, you're on a path, you put yourself there, uh, you know, you've mastered that. You've it like deep, deeply ingrained in you. So it's great. <laughs> Thanks, man. Do you have any tips for anybody listening that might want to make that transition from engineering to mixing? And some of our listeners might not know, this is something that I didn't even know until I really got into it, is that you can get labeled as an engineer, especially in the pop world. Labeled as an engineer, but yeah. but you're not considered a mixer. I've been in rooms where people are like, oh, you, you mix too? And I'm like, yeah, I've been mixing all day while we've been working on this song. I also mix. The, but people have it separated in their mind as two different things. Yeah. Even though as an engineer, you're like, yes, I do that. I do both of these things. Uh, do you have any advice for people that are trying to make that shift? That is a really difficult question to answer. Um, <laughs> because I don't think I went about the shift in a conventional way. Hmm. It's tough. Damn, I don't even know how to answer. I don't know how to answer it. Damn it. <laughs> I know. Well, is there a, I, cause I, I'm, I'm basically, I'm actively right now not taking engineering work unless it's a record I really want to work on. I still have clients I love that I work with in a heartbeat and there's still records that I would love to make. And if somebody called and they were on that list, I would do it. Uh, but I think for me, where I am in my life right now, mixing is what I want to do. And I feel like I need to focus on doing that. And the only way to do that is to do that, I guess, to, um, to sum it up in a Absolutely. sentence that makes no sense. <laughs> no, that made perfect sense. I mean, you made uh, a you similar choice at some point. You, will you do an engineering session now? If Kanye called to do the next record, would you go? Yeah, yeah, I would definitely do it if it was like somebody A-list or if it's like, you know, one of my best friends. Uh, yeah. Of course. That's, that's a no-brainer. But yeah, I mean, similar thing for where I'm at. I, I definitely, 
am sticking to the mixing and that's what I want to get known for. Um, but man, it is really challenging because there are certain A&Rs who are able to push, you know, somebody for a job. Uh, like there have been a few times where I've gotten a mixing gig because somebody said the words, oh, he worked with Kanye or he worked on Kanye's stuff. And, you know, I, I never want to be the guy that like claims that I've mixed that stuff because I, I definitely didn't. And the guys that do his material are fantastic and I, I can't discredit them. But but there are ways to leverage an engineering credit into getting mix work or production work. And that's true. I think I think that there are scenarios where that happens. Uh, I guess my only advice uh, to, that I'm really confident about is that I would just advise anybody looking to like make a serious pivot where they're going to experience income loss. Uh, it would be to have a lot of money saved so you can you know securely sit on that, uh, have money saved, and also like secure a brand. Like, and this is something I'm not executing enough on, but like. Uh, having a brand or having like a hashtag that you just use or like, you know, mixed by everybody's doing mixed by. So that, that seems right. like it's really cliche and overused now, but having something like I, <laughs> I had this joke, you know, for a while it would be like, I'm the mix Jesus or I'm the mix God. It's just like incredibly provocative and like, and pushy, but it like, it, it just proves a point. It's like, man, who mixed that? the God of mixing mixed that, you know, if it, if it was something so intense like that, or if, or if your name was the, the, the Clark Kent of mix and like your brand was that you had a side part and like the glasses and a suit on and like on your front page and you know, put some plaques behind you or whatever it is. Like that's a funny brand. It's memorable. Like who mixed it? Superman did dude. Superman. <laughs> I'm the only Superman level mixer. Like, I don't know what that's going to be. And I, I don't know. Like my thing is just like, Jesse Ray, mixed by Jesse Ray. It's kind of boring. But I, I think that now more than ever for anybody on the come up is like brand recognition and brand reinforcement and just like having something extremely solid and easy to digest for people to just be able to latch onto your name and know what the heck you do, know what you're about and be able to talk about it easily. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. Right now, some kid somewhere is like getting the Instagram for Superman of mixing. <laughs> superwoman of mixing dude i will be you're gonna, very you're gonna have very to compete with that happy now. to see that yeah no i totally agree branding is not uh it is not a strong point i think for most musicians particularly behind the scenes people i'm the quiet shy guy and somehow i've ended up starting a podcast but i i am not that person i'm not that put myself out on the internet branding type human and i look around and i see that working for a lot of people and uh I think that that's something that people in this industry need to accept is that the way the world is now, you need to be out there putting yourself out there. You have to know what it is you believe in and you need to make that obvious to people. You know, if you believe that you're a great mastering engineer or you believe that you're like an excellent top liner and you have you have a, a specialty in pop, indie pop or what, whatever it is, like you need to make those things obvious because there's so many people making music, the pile of, you know, people out there is, is massive. The only way to stick out is to do something, obviously. Yep. Have obvious branding and hopefully eventually have some uh, credible records attached to you. Yes. You know? By branding, I don't mean to <laughs> run sponsored ads. It's all over Facebook and Instagram because uh, I think that there's, at least in the mixing world, I have found that uh, artists don't like to be, you know, begged to work with, right? 
and that wasn't uh, worded very strongly, but they don't like to be told that, hey, you should let me mix your stuff or, you know, once in a while they will. But like generally, it's a, it's a word of mouth thing, right? It is. And letting this organic word of mouth develop and this organic reputation of just being, getting known to be a, a reliable, you know, deliverer of the goods. Can you deliver the goods? Will you do it on time? Will you be easy to work with? Will you, you know, or is the label going to have to hound you for the stems and the finals? And Yeah. Or, you know, and there's also the weird thing, but like some people are weird about payment. Are you the weirdo that needs like 100% of the payment like up front before you even like <laughs> talk about the song? Like, and then, you know, to each his own. And with some clients, like, yeah, if there's a red flag kind of client thing, like you got to do that, but. You know, I think just being easygoing about the whole process and being laid back and not seeming like you're super desperate to get the money because there's definitely been like points in my career it's like where it's where a gig will come in at the right time and it's like, ooh, I really needed that. But like you, don't, you can't rush after the check and you definitely can't be like foaming at the mouth to the client. Like they get really uncomfortable. The art has to be the priority. You got to be like really, really after the music and you got to be just on a mission to make the artist so happy and on and so satisfied with the with the result. Oh yeah. And that you got to put your ego aside and you got to put what you want aside and just completely serve the client cuz I mean it's not about us and our ego as engineers. Like, yeah, we uh like we're we're great and we know things. Yeah, cool. But it's about executing the artist's vision and bringing that to life, man. It's not about us. So it is it is 100% about getting somebody else's vision out and and it doesn't matter what aspect of, you know, engineering, mixing, mastering, whatever it is, it's a service industry. You're providing a service, you're mixing someone's song, and you're making it sound the way that they want it to sound. Sure, you're going to do things that are creative, and you're going to put your artistic vision into it. But in the end, it's their ultimate thing. So you definitely have to have that mentality at all times that you're there to serve. And that goes back to when, when you and I started in, uh, you know, studios as a runner, Everything was clean. The water was in the same place. The pencils were sharpened. And it's that attention to detail that you just have to carry along with you and remember that those are the things that are going to win your client's trust over and that's why they're going to come back because you did a good job. They trust that they can recommend you. And like you said, the word of mouth thing is, is huge in this business. If you know a lot of people and you've done great work for a lot of people, you're going to get a lot more work. That's really just what it comes down to. Absolutely. Keep your pencils sharpened. That's right. That could be every, anything, you know, all the way down to the way that your files are organized. I mean, I think most of us now have like running Dropbox folders with, with artists that we kind of frequent, you know, and, you know, they're digging around that or the A&R digs around that Dropbox folder and like, how does it look? How does it yeah. look in there? Is it tidy? Are, are things organized? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and your STEM delivery, like working with MDs, like a lot of these, you know, we, we have to deliver stems when we finish a project. And usually it's not because they're going to do like some sort of remix at the label. Because I don't know, at least in my experience, that's that's like never happened. But the way it gets used is MDs put these stems together for the live show. And those guys like, you know, they that really, I don't know if that impact that it makes with them runs all the way down and like leads to more work. I don't know. But overall, in that artist's world, that artist is going to have a better time if they show up to rehearsal before tour starts and their MD is chill. He's good. He's feeling good. He's prepped because he was able to like put together his sessions to get the backing tracks ready. If they were able to get everything like solid, like 
just be a part of like making it a better experience for the whole team. Because like yeah. when I mix a record now, I am now thinking of it much less like I'm this outside guy and I try to get in like I'm part of your team now. And it's sort of, I'm like, it's maybe a little sneaky, but but I dig right in and, you know, when they invite me to do a single or an album, I'll say like, hey, I'm happy to be on the team. Let's do this. And I say those words like, I'm on the team. We're we're on the same team. And I try to always express that. Like, I am with you. Like, I am, I am here to see your vision get realized and push it through to the finish line. I'm here for you. I, I will virtually hug you with musical files at the end of this. <laughs> then it gets weird. Jesse, you're getting weird on us, dude. What's going on? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, we got to be there I, I, for the artists, man. That's right. Virtual hugs and properly named <laughs> files. Very important. Um, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to tack a little bit. It looks like... I follow you on Instagram. You've mm-hmm. been posting not a lot of pictures, but a fair number of you... It's some other location other than your house or your studio mixing. Are you like really into the idea of like being able to work wherever to be able to escape and still mix a record? I'm just totally plucking this out of the blue here because it looked like a like a theme. Yeah, well, it's definitely been a theme this summer. I mentioned earlier that our house is under renovation right now, so we at that point in time, which uh, when I was mixing twice as tall for Berna. Like it was like a demolition zone here. So we, we literally could not live here. So we moved up into Laurel Canyon to an Airbnb for about a month and lived there. And I was mixing off of AirPods on my laptop and the laptop was doing remote desktop controlling the studio computer. And yeah, I was, I was mixing up in the hills of Laurel Canyon, historic Laurel Canyon, the home of the folk rock movement of the late 1960s. Uh, and that was just magical. And after that, uh, we went to the beach, Manhattan Beach, and we stayed down there for about a week. And I finished that album there, doing the same sort of thing, remote mixing setup. And yeah, it was amazing. Right by the water, making music, getting creative. And then uh, obviously it was cool to get back here and start mixing inside. But yeah, it's something I'm, I'm really looking to put together is to like make out of wood, build sort of a wardrobe that opens up and has wheels, and this thing will live in my garage, but I'll be able to wheel the wardrobe out, and it'll have like a pair of NS10s, just like a cheap little rig, like a crappy converter, interface, whatever it'll be, and I'll just bring my laptop, hook it up to those, and I can wheel this thing out into my backyard, you know, by the palm trees in Southern California, and just mix outside for a bit in the mornings when it's nice and it's cool, and, you know, plug one power cable in, and I'm good to go, and we can start mixing outside. And that's something I'm very, very excited to do because you can avoid all the reflections and like garbage that happens in rooms too. Oh yeah. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. You drag your gear out there and then have to worry about the humidity where the mix is going to recall. I wanted to touch on the fact that you, did you just say you were remote controlling your studio computer from your laptop while you were in Laurel Canyon? Yeah, I was. So that, that's genius. So did you have, uh, were you using gear? Was it patched in and like ready to go and you were just hardware inserts? Or were you just in the box at that uh, point? I could have. I definitely could have. Uh, but I I was all in the box on that project. Okay. And I've been kind of kind of totally in the box lately <laughs> and loving it personally. It's kind of the way uh, to go. It's kind of the way to go. Especially with, like, as soon as Bounce Butler came out. Like, Bounce Butler came out right when we had our baby. And it was just like, okay, this is easy. 
you know, I used to spend days in here bouncing mixes and, and, and stemming out projects. Like I always say like, man, it takes an hour to mix a song, you know, it might take another hour or two to do some notes, but like it used to take days to stem out that mix <laughs> or stem oh, an yeah. album, like stem dude, an album. printing Torture. this stuff torture and now i just set up bounce butler to do it like i'll you know it'll be a 200 sessions save as and you put them into bounce butler and then you i go to bed and i wake up with a text in the morning your bounces are complete boom and then i go check the folder i just listen through a few seconds of each sometimes i'll load them into sessions to really ensure uh, i'm not doing that a whole lot of the time because it just works now i know it works and i send it back it's it's done dude it's like by using systems of efficiency like this and by avoiding real-time bounce and analog gear, I think that you're able to really up your hourly rate, not by raising your rates with the clients, but you're able to charge the same or even less. Like this allows me to take indie projects that before just wouldn't have paid the bills because of the hourly. It just wouldn't have been worth the time. Not yeah. like it's not worth my time, but like I literally wouldn't be able to fit it into my day. But now with these tools, like, yes, I can do so many more projects I can bring in. I can put, I can put my name on and my stamp on so many more pieces of music and get my name out there and I can bring in more income too. And dude, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Bounce button. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I haven't totally adapted to it yet. I'm using it for everything I'm doing, but there's a few things that I still have to do like my old OCD way. Uh, but it's such a time saver. But all of those little time saving things are are huge for for us because a project can take, I mean, a song could take two hours to mix or it could take twenty hours to mix, depending on the client, the depth, how many recalls you're doing, and when you're charging somebody on a, you know, a per song or a project basis, you need to make up for those twenty hour songs with with some four hour songs. And the only way to do that is automation, systems, and just being more efficient. And I don't yep. know, I don't know about you. I don't know, I've been preaching this a lot lately. All like the efficiency and like productivity stuff that I do, I think makes me more creative because it allows me to skip all of that nonsense and it's just so much better. Dude, big time. Yeah, so so when you sit down to the hot seat, you're ready to do what you are supposed to be doing. You can do the yes. job of mixing and exactly. you can dig in. It's part of what's cool about uh, cats that have assistance, you know? You can get yeah. someone who goes in and rides that vocal ahead of time and gets the mix to where it's already sounding like the reference and maybe elevated a little bit. And then you can step in and just like, you can do the moves and you can get yeah. creative and, and start to think about it. The housekeeping tasks, the, the remedial uh, stuff definitely gets in the way of creativity. I, I agree 100%. Oh, yeah. Nothing kills me worse than like mixing for three hours, feeling really great and realizing that I need to turn all the breaths down in the, in the lead vocal. And, you know, 20 minutes later, I'm not interested in doing the vocal rides anymore. You're just like, okay, yeah. take a break or move on to something different for a minute. It can really, how do you, you do out breath automation, by the way? Um, I, uh, I just hired an assistant. <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, I did. I'm, I'm trying this kid that, that is doing mix prep for me for the first time ever and, um, game changer, but, uh, I just clicked it down like, you know, three to nine dB depending on the song. Tell me this, is there a way to copy, because I was doing clip gain too, and, but when they, sometimes they send you a new vocal, right? They'll be like, oh, that mm. vocal, I had to re <laughs> and then you realize you have to redo all that. Is there a way to copy clip gain moves to a new clip, to a new waveform? You know, I don't know, but I, I'm pretty confident that you can convert clip gain to volume automation, then you could copy that volume automation and then convert volume automation. Oh, that's to clip right. Gain. Yeah, you can change in the window. Yeah, there's something that's like right. copy special or something. 
this uh, everybody that is like a uh, guitar player or upcoming manager just checked out right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our audience is now down to engineers. It's nerd talk only. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty sure you could do that. You, it might just be more than one step. So I do like to, before we end, I like to put people on the spot and uh, ask them a question. Are you, are you down? I am down. Was I, uh, that the question? That is it. <laughs> no, my, my question is, is I want to know what your current big goal is. It, can, it could be a Jesse Mixer goal or Jesse personal goal, whatever it is, whatever you're willing to share. And what's the first step you're going to take to go towards it? Mm. Wonderful question. Well, the, there are a few. The next couple of goals kind of, uh, there's a couple and I'll, I'll put them together. Uh, win a Grammy. <laughs> that's, that one is, uh, that's, that's gotta happen. Hopefully, uh, you know, we get a nomination and, and get a W at some point soon. And, uh, I also want to get, you know, like five number ones and then like 10 number ones. I, I ultimately, I need like a number one that I've mixed that's on like the top 100, right? The hot 100. And uh, so all of these things, these are more of those like trophy accolades that I uh, egotistically just crave <laughs> shamelessly. Uh, yeah, so the steps towards that are are really non-egotistical steps, right? So the, the moves that I'm going to be making to achieve that, those goals are I'm going to serve my clients better. I'm going to try to reach out and get with more artists. I'm going to try to help wherever I can. I'm going to try to provide better service. I'm going to you know, get that same day revision. I'm going to get that late night revision call. I'm just trying to be as like good of a friend as I can be to the people I work with. Cause ultimately I think you kind of can attest to this too. You become, you know, you become close with the people you work with and not all the time, but most Usually. of the time it's, it's a, it's a pretty good time working on music and, and there's a good camaraderie and you know, whether uh, at the time of this recording, we're in the pandemic. So we're doing a lot of Zoom mixing and talking over Zoom, just like we're doing right now. Uh, but, you know, once once that's over with, I'm going to get clients back in the room. And when I have clients over, man, we have a blast. We uh, make a d delicious cup of coffee and we, we share coffee and I try to get treats out. You know, I, I've definitely adopted that from the studio. I was getting I was gonna like, say, cookies that's that made, old studio a inside veggie you. tray. Yeah, I mean, that that works. They do it for a reason. But yeah, I'm just going to try to better serve and continue to uh, spread spread my uh, business and grow my business. Cause, uh, Amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm super on the on the come up, you know, like really, really new. Like my all music doesn't even go back before like last year, I think, right? So my discography is really low. I haven't worked on a lot of stuff uh, that's like officially out. <laughs> so we're building, baby. So my goals are to build and build nice. and build. Well, you, you, you know what you're going after. You know what you want. It's inspiring, I think, for people that are new to see that, you know, if you put work in, you can achieve success and then to still be driven after you have some success, I think is uh, even more important. So, Jesse, thank you so much, dude. This was a ton of fun, man. We'll have to do this again or we'll have to hang uh, outside of this. Do you want to share um, social or website if people want to get in touch with you where they could find you? Yeah, definitely. I think Instagram's the best way to just follow and and shoot me a message and say what's up uh i i respond to all messages i love chatting with other individuals who are into uh this wacky world of music like we are you know it's cool and uh, i'm also going to be doing some twitch streaming soon 
Ah. Uh, yeah, I'm getting into that world. I'm going to see if there's any interest for some mix breakdowns and some kind of production workshop stuff. I'm going to have like a drum kit and a bass and a, a guitar like all in the room. And yeah, just sort of build 60 minutes to like build a song kind of a thing. Oh, nice. And nice. I think that that'll be... Edu- more educational for me than anybody else <laughs> and <laughs> it'll also awesome. push me to, to to get creative and and so yeah twitch.tv slash jesse ray mix and uh instagram.com slash who, who is going to the instagram website no instagram i'm uh jesse ray mix awesome well i will put those in the show notes jesse thank you so much man this is this is great Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's great chatting yeah. with you. And we definitely got to hang once the uh, smoke clears uh, post-COVID. We, we will for sure. Peace. And that brings episode number nine to a close. Thanks again for listening. Please like and subscribe and share and do all those things. Press those buttons. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up over the month of December, so I think you'll enjoy them. And don't forget to jump over to completeproducer.net and hang out with us there. See you next week.